Hamlet podcast, episode three. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanretty. We are only about 40 lines in and already strange things are afoot on the battlements of this castle in Denmark. The last two weeks have ended with mild cliffhangers, precisely because Shakespeare is so intently building up the anticipation at the start of the play. The whole point of an opening scene is, of course, to establish the setting and the status quo of a story and then set up the rules of how this world might work. So far, we're in a kingdom, in a castle, but the air is thick with caution. Last week's episode ended with the promise of a big stunt, and what follows next in the text certainly is one of the defining elements of this play. Bernardo is just getting started with his description of what's been going on, leading hopefully to an explanation of why Horatio of all people, has been dragged up here at this time of the night. But before he can get very far, Shakespeare completely alters the rules of this world with a very simple stage direction. Enter Ghost. Ghosts always have a high impact when they appear in Shakespeare's plays, although they show up in comparatively few of them. The first instance is in Richard III, when a whole parade of the title character's victims appear to him in a dream. This dream is a convenient dramatic device, since obviously there is no proof of poor King Richard ever having been haunted. Not to mention the even thornier question of whether or not ghosts even exist, but we'll leave that to other people to discuss. Macbeth is haunted very specifically and very dramatically by the ghost of his murdered friend Banquo, and it is worth mentioning that only Macbeth can see this ghost. This is something that gets very interesting when we get to the ghosts of our own play, But many interpreters, among them Ian McKellen, actually make the argument that this ghost should not be visible even to Macbeth himself on the stage. Personally, I feel that this would rob the play of a very iconic and chilling moment. But nonetheless, I want to bring you all aspects and all conversations about these things, so it is worth mentioning. Ghosts also appear in Cymbeline in an even more spectacular moment, working as a deus ex machina to help Posthumus in his hour of need. And, of course, Julius Caesar appears to haunt Brutus before the Battle of Philippi in the play that bears his name. All of these ghosts have specific narrative functions, but they don't necessarily impact on the worlds of the plays very much. Certainly, none of these plays is about a character who has seen a ghost. Hamlet, however, is a very different story. The story itself came to the globe from a variety of sources, an ancient history of Denmark by the fabulously named Saxo Grammaticus, which was then translated into French by François de Belfort in the 1570s. There is some speculation that an earlier version of Hamlet existed before the one that we know and, of course, love. As if the history of the text isn't complicated enough in its transmission afterwards via quartos and folios, we also have to contend with the possibility that there might have been a previous version, the Ur-Hamlet, that may or may not even have been by Shakespeare. It's possible that it might have been by another playwright, Thomas Kidd. Kidd is more famous as the author of another play, The Spanish Tragedy, which is also a very big influence on Hamlet and which will appear quite frequently in future podcasts. The Spanish Tragedy starts with a ghost, who explains how he has been murdered and is then joined by the spirit of revenge and the two of them narrate the whole play. Importantly, though, this pair are invisible to everybody else in the story. This Spanish tragedy was a huge hit, and we can imagine Shakespeare wanting to outdo it with his own ghost story, and, 
As we will see throughout this journey through the play, he uses this ghost in ways more intricate and complicated than anyone else in the Elizabethan theatre ever had before him. On that note, it is worth mentioning that by the time Shakespeare wrote Hamlet, ghosts were not uncommon on the stage, and they were invariably murder victims, invariably looking for revenge. There's a short, excellent article on the subject by John Mullen on the British Library website, and there'll be a link to that in the show notes for this episode. So, Shakespeare's audience would not be completely shocked by the appearance of a ghost within a play. And, 40 lines into this play of ours, one enters. Our friend Marcellus interrupts Bernardo's monologue to point him out. Peace! Break thee off! Look where it comes again! In the same figure like the king that's dead. We get another little piece of information here. This isn't just any ghost. It is, quite possibly, seemingly, the ghost of the King of Denmark. These poor soldiers haven't a clue what to do, and so they appeal to Horatio for help. Let me guess our first piece of information about him now. Thou art a scholar. Speak to it, Horatio. Looks it not like the king? Mark it, Horatio. And poor Horatio, then, replies. Most like. It harrows me with fear and wonder. Nowadays, we use the word harrowing to describe awful events and tragedies, entirely possibly because of this line. It's a very rich word, implying both the breaking up of ground after ploughing and a reference to the horrors of hell. But Horatio is curious as well as afraid. Yes, there is fear, but there is also wonder, which, in Shakespeare, is a very fertile concept, and for Horatio to acknowledge feeling it as well as fear, it makes the scene keep moving. These two soldiers are eager for Horatio, a scholar, to speak to the ghost. There was a residual myth that ghosts could not speak until spoken to, and our two intrepid watchmen have clearly invited the much smarter Horatio because he is educated and might be better able to address this royal spectre. They encourage him, and he does not disappoint. It would be spoke to. Question it, Horatio. What art thou that usurps this time of night, together with that fair and warlike form in which the majesty of buried Denmark did sometimes march? By heaven I charge thee, speak! In newly Protestant England, people officially no longer believed in ghosts. If anything might have appeared to you, it was probably the devil, taking on a familiar shape to win you to your harm, as Banquo himself puts it. As such, Horatio immediately implies that this apparition is a usurper, appearing in the fair and warlike form of the dead king of Denmark. Mention of a usurper, whether the ghost itself or anyone else, is clearly the wrong thing to bring up to this figure, and the ghost departs. And the soldiers keep up their tense commentary. It is offended. See, it stalks away. And Horatio replies, calling after it, Stay! Speak! Speak! I charge thee, speak! Throughout the first act of this play, there are various scenes that will take place up here on the battlements at night, and in them there are numerous charms and incantations and pacts formed and odes sworn. This is a world we learn throughout wherein the borders between heaven and earth are flexible. Horatio is quite forceful as he shouts at the ghost. Speak, speak, he commands, and indeed it is quite inappropriate for a subject to be commanding a king. As if mentioning a usurper wasn't bad enough, the ghostly king is definitely offended now, and he exits. 
the watchmen feel vindicated that at least Horatio has now seen this thing too, and they crow a little. Tis gone, and will not answer. How now, Horatio, you tremble and look pale. Is not this something more than fantasy? What think you on it? Definitely some vindication for them now that they aren't the only ones to have seen this vision. Horatio is shocked, and acknowledges that he wouldn't have believed them had he not seen it himself. Before my God, I might not misbelieve without the sensible and true avouch of mine own eyes. Marcellus brings it back from God to Denmark, because it's not just any old ghost wandering on the ramparts. Is not like the king? Horatio replies, as thou art to thyself. Such was the very armour he had on when he the ambitious Norway combated. So frowned he once when, in an angry parl, he smote the sledded Polacks on the ice. Tis strange. Horatio is giving some very useful exposition here. We learn that this dead king was successful in battle, and that the enemies of Denmark are Norway and Poland, nations on either side of Denmark. This apparition really does seem to be the ghost of the dead king. Tis strange, indeed. And we will find out what happens next in episode four. Thank you very much for listening, and do please subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, on SoundCloud, or wherever you like to get your podcasts yourself. We will soon be available also in TuneIn, and of course you can stay up to date with us on Twitter and on Facebook. The first newsletter is also going to be going out next week on September the 1st, so if you'd like to sign up for that, you're most welcome to do so via our website, thehamletpodcast.com. See you next time.